uh, my goal was to be able to do it at least 20 times in a row without making a mistake, deliver all those lines perfectly. And then I knew I was ready to go to air. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is Dr. Greg Wells. Greg is an author, an exercise physiologist, and a renowned motivational speaker. And I have him on to demystify the work that goes into becoming exceptional on stage. He talks dealing with nerves, why you need to work on your acting, and what it takes to prepare for some of the biggest audiences in the world. Greg, uh, I feel like it's a, a return of the favor because um, one of the first podcasts that I appeared on was yours. And so uh, I think at the time I said to you, look, this was kind of fun. I should do a podcast. So welcome to the podcast that you inspired. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it's great to be here, Bart. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the conversation. For those of you people who don't know you, I mean, you've got a, a best-selling book out in Canada. You're you know, renowned around the world for the work you do. But for the few people who may not know about you and what you do, give us the you know, Coles Notes version, please. Uh, so I'm a physiologist. I study how the human body works. I like to do that in extreme locations. So I work with elite athletes. Uh, I work with expeditions. Uh, I love doing research at the hospital for sick children. So I literally try to work with people who are winning medals at the Olympics or kids who are trying to overcome a chronic disease. And we use research and science to help people do that. And then more recently, I've been doing uh, taking all of that information that we learn from those extremes and apply and and trying to get it out into the population in the form of books and speaking and media and any other way that I possibly can to try to solve this billion person problem that exists around the world, which is sleeplessness and obesity and physical inactivity and mental health challenges. So that's the that's the that's what I do, and that's what I'm trying to accomplish. You've reached this place where you know, at least. You know, to, to anyone listening, they'd say, wow, you know, you're totally comfortable in the spotlight. I've seen you speak and you certainly exude comfort, confidence and authenticity. And so what I wanted to talk to you about is how do you get to that point? Because a lot of people, they say, oh, you know, Greg was just born that way. He's a natural. But as you alluded to, you've had to work unnaturally hard over a long period of time to develop that level of expertise. Is that a fair comment? Uh, absolutely. I drives me crazy when people say, oh, yeah, you're such a natural at it. And I've had that comment. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, I it, it comes back a little bit to when I commentated the 2010 uh, Olympics for CTV. And I, I got there and I was having a chat with a gentleman named Brian Williams, who's uh, sort of the head commentator for Canadian television, uh, not the Brian Williams from NBC. There's actually this Brian Williams for, for CTV here in Canada. And I asked him before the Olympics starts and I say, you know, what's what's the one thing you recommend that I do over the next few weeks from someone that's done this 10 times? This is my first Olympics. What do you what do you think I should do? And he says, you need to prepare. 
I was like, really? So, yeah. So what I ended up doing was each of my segments that were live, uh, the interviews in the evening that I did on primetime analyzing the events of the day were about two to three minutes long, which seems like an eternity when you're on television, but it actually really comes down to about maybe four or five sentences. And I would prepare those four or five sentences in advance using the template that your company gave me almost 20 years ago, the leadership script, and use that and repeat it. Uh, My goal was to be able to do it at least 20 times in a row without making a mistake, deliver all those lines perfectly. And then I knew I was ready to go to air. So I was literally like rehearsing over and over and over and over and over and over again so that when I got to air, it was absolutely easy for me to deliver those lines uh, and to actually think about the way in which I was delivering the lines, not necessarily the content of those lines, because I'd already done that work three or four hours before. So it really comes down to being massively prepared. And if you're over-prepared, then you can deliver a performance. And that's what I felt really starts to take things to another level. So let's let's take it back to when it first dawned on you that you might not just be able to show up and talk. Uh, I was at a Christmas party and I was speaking to someone uh, about what I wanted to do, which was to take sports science and apply it to business because I was just finishing up a career as a as a competitive swimmer, which superseded what I did at university, which was my kinesiology degree. And then she literally said, okay, well, you know what? I've got a group of people and you can start with my department on Monday morning. And I was like, okay, here we go. (laughs) So I showed up and they were like, there's your computer. This is my group. You can have them for an hour at lunch as many times as you want. Off you go. And I started to put together lunch and learns for this group of people, this department, uh, and very rapidly discovered that I needed to figure out how to do public speaking better than just randomly standing up in front of a group of people and throwing some overheads up on the screen. Did you get some feedback? Was there a moment where you thought, oh, darn, this is not going well? Yeah, exactly. Like there was a couple sessions that I did that were just a struggle to get to the hour. And you could tell that they were appreciative and you could tell that they understood. And I think they were giving me a pass in some cases because I was 21 years old in front of a group of you know, bankers and I mean, to their credit, they gave me a bit of a pass and gave me some uh, leeway to get away with it at that point in time. But I could, t- uh, being the perfectionist that that was the athlete, I was like, "That's not good enough. I've got to figure this out. I've got to not. I've got to be able to command a room and and own that platform for at least an hour." Given I'm so passionate about this information, I was talking about stress. I was talking about performance. I was talking about excellence. I was talking about leadership. Even back then, I was talking about how to be a great leader. Uh, and I needed to, I have this inner desire to get this, not just a desire, like a burning, you know, soul uh, fire that I need to get this information out. And I, I realized I couldn't do it unless I figured out how to speak better. Out of that came the training that I did very early on, which was delivering that talk, those talks that uh, had put together in front of a video camera back in the mid nineties. Huh. And what made you realize you needed to do that? Yeah. My first lead, uh, my first speaking coach was Judith Humphrey or the, you know, the namesake for the Humphrey yeah. group. And, uh, she brought me in and I had my notes and she said, okay, off you go. And there's the, you know, deliver your lines to the VCR or the, the video camera, uh, which I did. And as soon as you start deconstructing yourself on video, it becomes glaringly obvious about where you're good and where you need to, uh, where you're not so good. And actually fast forward 20 years, I now record the audio of every single speech that I give hmm. and listen to that audio back within 24 hours of giving Amazing. a speech. And I, I give at least one or two talks a week now. 
so I've kept that going. Now it's only audio and it's again, excruciating listening to yourself speak. (laughs) I know. It's really helps because you can find all the ticks. You can find out where you're passionate. You can find out about the inflection of your voice, which was the, you know, after I got going on the video, the next thing to do was structure. So how to structure a talk and actually build out the plan, the points, the arguments, the, um, that led to subsequently, and this is, I'm going over basically 20 years of work here, but, uh, voice coaching, because you need to be able to, uh, manage your voice when you're speaking to be able to either, you know, speed up the way that you're speaking to capture people's attention or really, you know, slow down to allow people to absorb a point. Or you might want to speak really loudly if you're talking to someone you want to get their attention. Or if you really want to get people's attention, you lower your voice and speak super slowly. So you started, uh, you really started quietly. Learning, you started learning all these techniques and started to practice self-assessment. Did, did that then... And you begun with this kind of just happenstance project to teach health. What what was kind of the next career step, and how did your speaking evolve along with it for you? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So I, I sort of was on cruise control for quite a while. I was switching audiences. I moved from the corporate world. I went back and did my master's and PhD. So obviously, there's a lot of speaking in academia concurrently. I was working with the Olympic team, so I was talking to sports groups and everything was fine. But in 2010, everything changed when I was asked to commentate the uh, 2010 Vancouver Olympics. And as part of that, I did a series called Super Bodies, which ultimately won a Gemini Award in Canada for best sports analysis on television that year. And that was when everything changed because you're not, you're no longer speaking in front of an audience of 50. You're speaking in front of an audience of 5 million. And you're under massive scrutiny and no the pressure. Just go, yeah, exactly. Like the pressure just skyrockets. So at that point, that's when the acting classes began. That's when the real voice coaching began. That's when the physical preparation began. That's when the really detailed microscopic script writing began. Uh, and then out of the Olympics, of course, if you commentate in the Olympics, you get asked to speak in front of audiences. My groups went from 50 to initially 150 to 200. And, and just uh, you know, eight years after that event, just 2018, obviously, uh, I've, I did a speech recently for almost 3,000 people. And that was incredible. So it's just amazing to see it, see it all evolve. But the inflection point for almost everything in my professional life, for sure, was the uh, initial commentating of the Olympics in 2010. Take us behind the curtain. If we were to have sat with you in the room when you were doing your voice work in preparation for your super body segments, what would we have seen and heard you doing? Well, it's really interesting. When we take a step back and look at what happened when I was uh, doing the voice coaching, I ended up working with a with a coach and they took me to a big, huge gym, a gymnasium. It's sort of like a church basement type location where it was open. There was great acoustics. And we ended up doing a ton of physical work, like opening up the shoulders, opening up the ribcage, deep breathing, uh, almost like sun salutations, if you've ever done it, ever seen that in, in yoga. And then working through the challenge that I face, which is my reaction, which I'm actually doing right now, now that I think about it, is speaking from uh, the vocal cords right in the base of my jaw and then actually learning to breathe so that you are speaking through the diaphragm, which you know lowers your lowers your voice and improves your ability to project your voice and and learning how to do that and then learning how to do that through uh, a range of volumes and a, a, a range of speeds. So it was, and it, a lot of it was nonsense, like I was speaking <laughs> meaningless words, but it was 
experimenting with all of these different uh, approaches. But it was a, I was you know two hours of training, and I would be absolutely physically spent from the uh, exhaustion of trying to get my body worked up to be able to actually deliver those types of performances. And uh, I, I never thought of myself ever as being someone with a good voice, and I still I still don't. But I now can look at a a singer and have such an incredible appreciation for what they've gone through to get their voice to a certain point. Like if you look at a, uh, a Celine Dion, for example, who you may or may not like her music, but she's got an incredible voice and, and investigating what she does to prepare and then recover is incredible so that she can deliver the performances or, you know, more recently a pink or a, or a lady Gaga who, you know, I saw perform once. Like he's just incredible vocal artists. So it's a whole world that opens up once you begin to experiment with it. It's a, it is remarkable. Again, it's something where you listen to someone sing and you think, Oh, they're just singing. They're just doing it. But the voice really is a muscle, right? The, your vocal power uh, is something you have to develop and, and project. Uh, so it's amazing that to hear you describe how exhausting it was to just put those two hours in when it was you know one part of your prep. Uh, another oh, yeah, and it is, wasn't just two hours; it was like two hours repeatedly over the course right. of you know, six months weekly, right? So it was right. a ton of work, but the outcome was a totally different experience. And, and a lot of by the end of it, it was actually enjoyable. But the first three months of it was just awful. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's it's kind of like going to a training camp, right, for a sport. The, the more it hurts, the more the final performance will be easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You mentioned acting as well, that you did work, acting work. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, one of the tips that I got from the producer of the Superbody segments was that I really needed to learn how to uh, get better acting to a camera. And even though you know, I, I wrote the scripts for Superbodies Super largely and came up with the uh, ideas that we were going to be presenting. It was all my my content and my ideas. Uh, the delivery of the, those the ideas wasn't good enough. And he recommended I work with an acting coach, which I did, who is also phenomenal. And one of the first things we did was we, when I got there and started working with this gentleman, uh, we picked out five scripts from various different movies and extracted scenes and I would memorize those scenes and deliver the lines, but, and be coached as if I was in that movie. It was really quite incredible. And there's some amazing monologues that were given. Robin Williams uh, had a monologue in Goodwill Hunting when he's uh, confronting uh, the young gentleman that he was working with, Matt Damon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, they're sitting on a park bench and in Robin Williams delivers this unbelievable uh, monologue for a few minutes about his wife. And I ended up memorizing that one and delivering it and trying to do it in three or four different ways to uh, understand that there's not just one way of delivering a line. There's many different ways of delivering a line. Some you can say the same words in four different ways and get four completely different outcomes from what you're trying to say. And that was an absolute game changer because uh, for example, if you're if you're listing off the benefits of sleeping better, it's you know there's your improved concentration, there's better alertness, there's incredible recovery of your muscles, and if you say those three words in completely different ways, it conveys three different ideas. But if you say them as better concentration, better alertness, better focus, better physiological, they're all the same and it blends together. And so there's really cool little techniques that you can use to 
convey your ideas more effectively than if you're just simply memorizing lines and trying to repeat it back. And I learned all that through acting and coaching. I loved that. It's something actually I should probably get back into. I haven't done it in a few years, but it, I absolutely loved it. It was getting way out of my comfort zone. Like I'm an athlete. I don't perceive of myself as an actor and putting myself out there and in those sorts of uh, vulnerable conditions and videotaping it and breaking it down at the same time was that was, yeah, that was not a comfortable experience, but it was super fun. And um, by the end of it, I used to really love it. As you look today, you know, when you kind of um, go around the world and you deliver this message, how do you get people to actually make change? Because the things you're talking about, sleeping better, eating better, moving better, thinking better, you know, a lot of them, people would say, oh, you know, for example, sleep. I know I need to sleep more <laughs> or I know I need to sleep better. How do you actually share ideas with people in a way that gets them to make change in their lives when these are such deep-seated patterns? Yeah, that's a really very important question. I think that applies to anything. So anyone who's listening who wants to get people to uh, buy a product or implement a strategy or follow their positioning really has to think about this really deeply. And you said something and that was that, you know, I know, for example, I know I need to sleep better, but I don't necessarily do it. Or everyone, you know, for example, everyone knows that push-ups are good for you, but not everyone does push-ups every day. And so how do we actually get people to make changes? And something happened a, literally a few weeks ago. Actually, two things happened over the last little while. One happened just a few weeks ago and I was in a very small session. I was doing a, a little workshop for a group of senior leaders. There's about 10 people in the room. And afterwards, uh, one of them stuck around. We were chatting, and she mentioned that, yeah, you know, she she literally said exactly what you what you were going to say there. She said, "Yeah, you know what? I know I need to eat better, but I really, I you know what? I cook for my kids and my mom who lives with me first, and then, you know, if I get to it, then I do do it for myself as well. And she said, I know I need to do better. And I said, so you just told me something like I know. So intellectually, you understand, but in your heart, emotionally, you're not there yet. You take care of your kids. You love your kids. You take care of your mom. You love your mom. You know, where's the the love for yourself? Where's the heart? Where's the emotional investment in yourself? And her, she just went locked up. Her whole body stopped moving. She stared at me. Like it was this explosion, I think, of realization for her. And I sort of set it off the cuff. I felt bad about it afterwards because it was, I realized it was challenging a little bit about everything that the way she was operating at the moment. I said, do you love yourself as much as you love your kids? Like, are you going to take care of yourself in order to be able to serve others better? Because you actually have to serve yourself before you can serve others. Otherwise it's, it, everything falls apart. It doesn't work. So the, way that I have been going after this more recently, literally in the last few weeks is, and this is hard for me as a scientist, as a, as a researcher, as someone who's driven by, you know, mind, uh, everything to do with mindset and all, all those sorts of uh, things is now beginning to explore the emotional power that is required to actually make and sustain these changes in our lives. So we need to find the hook. You need to find what people care about. In it might for you know for students, it's like what do you care about? Is it getting on the robotics team? Is it getting on the business team? For athletes, is it winning 
um, the Olympics or even, you know, making your provincial team or your state team. Uh, if for parents, it might be, why are you doing this? Oh, is it to get a, like, get a mortgage? Is it to get your kids through school? Is it to have a safe home? You have to find out what it is that people care about. And then if you wrap up all of, in my case, it's health. If I can wrap up getting healthier to enable people to get what it is that they care about the most in their lives, then all of a sudden it becomes something that they can easily implement and that they do implement and they go after aggressively uh, in their in their lives to actually make some changes. So it's really about connecting mind, body, and heart, actually. If you can do those three things, then all of a sudden I believe that making some changes becomes a lot easier and ultimately better. we can get better outcomes. And I, I think that that applies everywhere. I haven't, ex- haven't had enough time to explore it in other fields yet, but that's where I'm going at the moment with uh, all the work that, that we're doing with, with my team. So it is, ironically for a scientist, it's actually about moving away from the intellectual argument towards an emotional one that really reaches people. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, well, as the physiologist, so I study the body mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I went from the body and ultimately began to work with some pretty incredible psychologists to be able to enable me to to get into the mind. And, you know, uh, now we're, we're going beyond just the mind into uh, the mind. It's not just the mind-body connection anymore. It's the mind-body emotional connection. And at the fundamental level, emotions are just chemicals. They're hormones that move around through the body. So I can, I can still rationalize that I'm playing in my space, the physiological space. But ultimately, I think that the end power is going to come from a combination of those three areas. So Greg, you, you'd come off super bodies. You were arriving high. You know, you put all that work in. You'd start to oh, master your vocal power, taking this acting, and then you start giving talks. And from that moment eight years ago until today, you have steadily built a global following. You've become a sought-after speaker. You've taken on bigger and bigger stages. What areas did you continue to develop? Yeah, uh, right after the first Olympics in 2010, and I ended up commentating the 2012 Olympics as well in London, the request began to come through about, you know, can you come out and speak to us about what Olympians do to perform? And can you take us behind the scenes into how they prepare and what we can learn from that? And I began to do that in corporate audiences. And that was a lot of fun. It was incredible. And uh, although I do go back and look at some of my speeches now, and I cringe a little bit, but that's just progress. Uh, And then after that came the request to write a book from HarperCollins. That was my first book, Super Bodies, which, uh, again, I look back now and it's more of an encyclopedia than an actual book. Uh, after 2012 came through uh, and the 2012 Olympics happened, the and I'd done two Olympics and Super Bodies became quite a bit better known and my work uh, with CTV expanded and I, I did a bunch of other uh, stations as well, began to do some television work in the United States. The platform grew. Uh, out of that came the request for the second book, which was The Ripple Effect. And that's where I really discovered my voice. And I was challenged to do so by a gentleman that was working with me to really change my voice from the pure science to being able to relate to people better and, and write in a way that's understandable to them. And that was a huge inflection point because that also changed the way that I was speaking. I was no longer, I no longer began to be overly uh, concerned about presenting raw science, I began to be very concerned about presenting science in a way that was that honored the science, that was respectful of the science, but that was understandable to people. And I did that in both writing books and also 
on stage. And that's when the audiences started to grow. That's when we moved beyond just speaking to corporate audiences, but also in, then to education, uh, into law firms, into pharmaceuticals, into pretty much every different type of of audience. And I've continued to refine that over the last few years and and figure out what that voice is and how to communicate and how to get ideas across and to combine storytelling with amazing visuals. Uh, you know, originally, I wasn't comfortable telling stories, but now I understand that humans learn through story. So finding the right analogies, finding the right uh, examples from the from the real world that then highlight how science can be used to improve uh, life. That's really become the the real passion and and the craft, if you will, of of what I've been trying to do over the last few years. Now you come from a science background. You have a PhD. You work at hospital. You you've taught it. You've done research at University of Toronto. Was there a backlash from anyone who said, "Whoa, what are you doing here?" Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> this you're supposed to be a scientist. Did, did you face um, that? Yeah, um, absolutely. So. Yeah, I consider it now as very much uh, walking a knife edge and you've got to be, it's very difficult because what you're doing is you're walking between extremely complicated information. Uh, in many cases, it would I could in two minutes be trying to explain uh, what one scientist or what one individual has dedicated an entire lifetime to and trying to explain that in five sentences in a way that's respectful to the body of work. Uh, is incredibly difficult. I understand that it's easy to offend because every single word matters. And of course, the person that's dedicated their entire life to that field would want 2,500, you know, 25 sentences to make sure that it's explained absolutely perfectly. But you just don't have that time. The backlash was really over the the reality that science, the complexity of science cannot be quickly explained. And yet to reach audiences, you need to have those stories in in short bites. Well, it's knowledge translation is the art. And that's really what I think uh, a lot of scientists are going to be pressured to do, because ultimately we are funded by uh, donations. In many cases, taxes go into the, the National Research Council in Canada, or they go to the National Library of Medicine in the United States. And the UK has similar foundations the the cancer society will don't will raise funds and then and then give those funds to researchers to investigate certain topics so we are ultimately publicly funded and so i believe as scientists we have a responsibility to share our findings uh, and to interpret the science in such a way that it's understandable for people uh, i think that we in some cases in our world right now we've we've lost that the, the facts we've lost the the truth and so it's important for us to be a, be as scientists to take responsibility for that and do a much better job of communicating our science to people and so it, it's incredibly difficult i understand that it rubs some people the wrong way and they feel that we should just be in our labs doing our work and publishing in scientific journals but i think ultimately this science needs to go in a different direction we also need to not just be in our labs but we also need to be out in the community speaking about our research and explaining the results so that we can make the world a better place at scale. Well, and having read your book, I can say that, you know, I, I don't read a lot of academic papers or academic journals. It's books like yours that have the opportunity to really change minds. Yeah, thanks, Bart. I hope so. <laughs> so, Greg, you you really shared with me this oh, the incredible work that you've done, really almost 20 years of work to not only develop your professional credentials, but really develop your ability to communicate these ideas to people. I mean, I think it really is 
you know, lay, bunk to the idea that speaking is a natural thing that you're born with, that you're, you're still working at it. If, if someone is listening and they say, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have 20 years. <laughs> you know, next week or next month, I have to give a talk. Drawing on that 20 years, what would be the most important thing or things that you would advise them to do to capitalize on that moment? Get in front of a camera and do it as many times as you possibly can and dissect your own performance. You, Everyone has a webcam. Everyone has a, you know, throw up an iPad in the room and deliver your speech to your iPad, record it, and then present it back to yourself. So you can actually see it. Do that four, five, six times. And then I know that everyone's in a rush and you've got the, the next big, huge thing that matters. And I think that only time gives you the understanding that all of those incredibly important moments are, they are important, but they're not as be all and end all as we think. And we do have 20 years. We do have, uh, life is a journey. And the second that you stop trying to improve, you are beginning to deteriorate. And so it doesn't matter. You can become a speaker at 70 and get really good at it. You know, 80, whatever. You're going to have an audience if you can figure this out. So it's never too late. It's a continuous process. Understand that every single time that you have the the opportunity to have a conversation, to sit sit in a room and express an idea or stand on a stage and express an idea, it's an opportunity to influence others to make the world a better place. And it's not going to happen all at once. It does take time. And we're all on this journey of trying to discover how we can be our best. And if speaking and presenting and leadership and sharing ideas is part of that game for you, anyone who's listening, then just begin to work the process of getting better at it and you'll get all sorts of incredible benefits from it eventually. Appreciate you coming on. If people want to get connected with you, if they want to get a little bit of the uh, ripple effect, where should they go? What can they listen to? Because I know you produce a ton of great content that's free for all. Yeah, thanks, Bart. I couldn't have done it without you and your team. So I really appreciate everything you guys have done for me over the years. Uh, The men and women on your staff are phenomenal. And uh, where you can go is to my website, drgregwells.com or any of my social media. I'm on all the channels and all of those are at uh, at Dr. Greg Wells. And we do produce a a podcast. And so you can check that out. Uh, The link to that is on my website as well. Thanks so much for coming on and keep doing what you do. Thanks, Bart. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Greg Wells. If there's one thing I took away, it's that you've got to work unnaturally hard to be a naturally great speaker. So thanks for listening. Last week, I asked you to pull out your iPhone and take a moment to give the Inspire podcast a review. Uh, But I've learned that many people listen on their computers. And so if you're someone who's listening to the Inspire podcast on iTunes on your desktop, but still want to take that time to give me a review and a rating, I'd greatly appreciate it. How do you do it? Go into iTunes on your desktop, search for the Inspired Podcast, and you'll see uh, three options. Details, ratings and reviews, and related. Click ratings and reviews, and it will bring up the option to click to rate and write a review. It's something I I really appreciate and uh, would love to hear what you think of the podcast. Thanks, and I'll be back soon with another episode.